Hello everyone, Henry here. Before we jump into the review, I want to bring to your attention that uh, this very helpful review was brought to you by Professor Campbell. While Professor Campbell does do a very comprehensive review of mechanics, please do know that she is not your teacher and she may have emphasized certain topics that your teacher did not focus on. Uh, she may also have missed out specific materials covered by your own professor. Uh, similarly, there are always discrepancy between classes, so to be safe, please consult your own teachers for any questions or concerns regarding the exam. Additionally, Professor Campbell do state that the exam is open book, but please consult your professor to make sure that you are using the authorized materials. And with the boring stuff out of the way, enjoy your cramming podcast. Okay, hello, hello students of mechanics. Uh, this is your mechanics study podcast that I've been asked to do for you. What I'm going to do is just kind of take you through an overview of the main topics that we cover in this course, just addressing, you know, a few um, big ideas, a few common misconceptions, a few reminders. Uh, so that's the game plan. So um, when I teach this course, I split it up into, into nine sections, which I call modules. If you didn't take the course with me, then the structure might be a little different. However, the, the topic that I'll talk about uh, is, or I mean, they're going to be the same. So the first topic that we cover in this course is, I mean, vectors. And part of that is also a math review. So obviously, in order to do well in this class, you need to be able to use your math toolkit for, you know, relevant problems. You need to be able to do uh, unit conversion, you need to be able to add vectors, that sort of thing. Um, you're not going to be test explicitly on these things, but of course, in order to demonstrate a full solution to a lot of these problems, you're going to need to be able to do that. So that's the first topic. Second topic, uh, kinematics, but more specifically, kinematics graphing. Can you look at a position time graph, velocity time graph, acceleration time graph, and be able to tell me key, you know, key information from those graphs. So can can you read them and also can you draw them? Can you go from an acceleration time graph to a velocity time graph to a position time graph? Can you go the other way? Can you go from a, a position time graph to a velocity time graph to an acceleration time graph? Um, so being able to do that obviously is very important. Um, a couple things that I'll just remind you is the importance of knowing what negative acceleration means. So this is a very common mistake students make. So note that negative acceleration is not the same as an object slowing down. If the object is moving in the positive x direction, then yes, negative acceleration is slowing down. But it also depends on uh, the direction of your motion. So for example, in the positive direction, you know, it's what we'd expect. Um, positive acceleration is speeding up and negative acceleration is slowing down. If you're moving in the negative x direction, it's actually the opposite. So if you're moving in the negative x direction, a positive acceleration will actually be slowing you down, right? Kind of like working against you in the negative direction. Um, and the negative acceleration will actually be speeding you up. So you can kind of think about this in terms of gravity, right? Gravity is minus 9.8 meters per second squared. That's a negative acceleration. When the ball is traveling upward, which by convention we choose to be positive, I know that the object will be slowing down. Um, then as it starts falling, moving in the negative direction, it will be speeding up. So think about a projectile as a way to remember this or just, you know, jot it down off to the side, the convention and the relationship between the signs. Okay, so that's important to keep in mind. 
obviously this shows up on your position time graph, right? So if a position time graph is concave up, that means it has positive acceleration. If it's concave down, that means that it has negative acceleration. So also another thing to note is what does negative velocity mean? What does it mean to be moving at minus two meters per second? So remember that negative velocity, all it is, it's, it's saying that the object is moving in the negative direction. So note also, and this is a, another common misconception, what a positive slope on a velocity time graph means. This doesn't always mean that the object is um, speeding up. So obviously that will depend on the sign. So if you're in uh, moving with a negative velocity, but your velocity time graph has a positive slope, that means that the velocity is gonna be getting less and less negative. So you're actually gonna be slowing down. After it crosses the, uh, the, the x-axis, so v equals zero, and if it's still moving in the positive direction, it will be speeding up. So of course, there's some subtleties are hidden in, in the signs of these graphs. So um, make sure you're, you're comfortable with doing that. Obviously, what we're looking for in a graphing problem, you know, we, if you're drawing a graph, we want it to be really neat. We want it to be labeled. We want it to be really clear as to um, when objects are, are speeding up and slowing down, but also, you know, not putting big dramatic jumps in the graph that don't need to be there. So that's um, kind of more or less what you need to know for kinematics graphing problems. And the third topic is just straight up kinematics. So of course, you've done two types of kinematics, one dimensional kinematics and two dimensional kinematics. Um, so you obviously will need to know the kinematics equations, of course, since this is a an exam where you can use your own resources, make sure that the kinematic equations are handy. Um, because obviously you're going to be able, you're going to be required to use those. It's important to have a good strategy to do a problem, um, knowing what equations to to use, splitting up your information into what's happening in the x direction and what's happening in the y direction. Of course, relevant to two dimensional motion. A reminder about the definition of the acceleration due to gravity. So a y for a projectile motion problem, it's gonna be minus G, minus 9.8 meters per second squared. So another reminder that G itself as a constant is positive 9.8 meters per second squared. Um, but the sign comes from the, the typical sign convention where down is negative Y. Okay, so for a projectile motion problem, you know, some key things you're gonna need to be able to split up your initial velocity vector into its x and y components. Again, going to need to be able to work in those x and y components. Often the thing that connects those um, is going to be the time, right? The time is the same in x and y. Um, and then, of course, you know, solving for whatever quantity you're being asked for. Uh, something that's very important at the very top of a, uh, of a projectile's motion there is going to be an instant where the object's velocity in the y direction is zero. Okay, so this happens at its maximum height. 
Of course, this doesn't mean that the object stops in one-dimensional motion, the object stops, but in two-dimensional motion, remember, since there's no acceleration in the x direction, the, um, the speed in the x direction, is, or the velocity even, um, is going to be the same the entire time. So it's still going to be moving in the, say, the positive x direction, uh, but just in the y direction, it will momentarily stop at the, at the top of its trajectory. Okay, so that's kinematics. The next big topic that we cover is forces. So forces is obviously a lot kind of involved in a forces problem. You need to make sure um, you have a free body diagram, right? Um, your object is represented by a point and your arrows come out from that point. You need to make sure you set up a coordinate system so you know how to define the, the signs of your forces and the signs of your, say, acceleration, that sort of thing free body diagram, coordinate system, and then you can apply Newton's second law. So you can do the sum of the forces in the x direction, the sum of the forces in the y direction, right? Um, set them both equal to mass times acceleration. Obviously, um, in all the questions we've done, there's either going to be an acceleration in the x direction or an acceleration in the y direction, um, but not both. Okay, so typically, I mean, in a lot of the problems we've done, the acceleration in the y direction is zero because the object is not moving up or down, like in and out of the floor, for example, but that's not necessarily a, a rule. There could be motion in the, um, in the y direction. A good example of that is an elevator problem. So, um, yeah, at, at that point, you then need to solve for whatever your, your unknown is using Newton's second law, the equations that you get from it. Sometimes it does, this will be a system of equations. Sometimes this will be a simple solving problem. Um, and that's basically it. So um, something that is a couple of things that are important. Remember that if the net force is equal to zero, this means a this could mean a couple of things. This is called equilibrium. And there's two ways that you can be in equilibrium. You could be not moving at all, or you could be moving at a constant speed, right? A is equal to zero either way. Um, remember that the net force being equal to zero doesn't necessarily mean there are no forces acting on the object, right? It just means that the sum of the forces is equal to zero. I also want to use this opportunity to um, stress the difference between static and kinetic friction, right? We know static is the friction of objects at rest. Kinetic friction is the friction of objects that are moving. So the static friction always is going to be exactly as much as it needs to be in order to keep the object at rest until you get to its maximum um, its maximum static friction. And that's what you use the equation mu s times n for uh, to calculate that maximum. After that, if, it, if the object is, you know, the, the sum of the forces is that the static friction is being maxed out, um, after that, the object is going to start to move. And instead of static friction, you have kinetic friction. So of course, the coefficient of kinetic friction is going to be less than the coefficient of static friction, uh, because generally it takes more to uh, get an object moving than to keep it moving, um, which, you know, if you've ever tried to get a running start at, you know, a hill, say. Okay, um, so that is, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, this is generally to the point where, you know, students are generally 
more comfortable with the material because it clicks really well with what they've done and seen before in high school. Once we get to the next topic, Newton's third law, we kind of get away from that a little bit. Um, so Newton's third law, topic five, um, most important thing is, I mean, the definition, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. What does that mean for every force there's an equal and opposite force and i know a few specific things about that um these what we call action reaction pairs so these pair of forces we know that they have to be acting on different objects also they have to be the same sort of force the same kind of force so a really common misconception that i see students do a lot is label the normal force and the gravity as an action reaction pair because you say well in this they're the same in magnitude and opposite in direction i mean it's true that you know and if it's just an object sitting on a table that the normal force and the gravitational force are equal and opposite that doesn't necessarily make them an action reaction pair so for one thing uh, normal force is a contact force fg is i mean it's the gravitational force so the action reaction pair for gravity is actually also it also needs to be gravity so the gravitational pull of the earth on a book is the same as the gravitational pull of the book on the earth okay and of course we don't see this acceleration really because the book's mass is so much smaller than the mass of the earth so that's why the earth is not rushing up um to to meet us and you know or sometimes it feels that way i guess it's, it's relative um so yeah so common a common misconception on different objects um same kind of force very important so on a third law problem you need to label your action reaction pairs indicate them um you're going to need a free body diagram separately for each object that's involved in your in your system you need to obviously label the coordinate system you might choose for a different coordinate system for each object or you might choose the same one uh, it's up to you as long as you're consistent with it you also need to link the acceleration so if the objects are connected you can say that they're moving together and the magnitudes of the accelerations are going to be the same okay and then you end up solving for any missing quantities typically this will end up being a systems of equations uh, solving for the acceleration and the tension if if there is an acceleration. Uh, so that's Newton's third law in a nutshell. Uh, topic six that I have here is circular motion. And usually this is a bit of a stumbling block for students. It's tricky because you need to think in a new coordinate system. So instead of the X, Y, Z, you're thinking in R, T, Z. So R is the direction towards the center of the circle uh, that you're dealing with in circular motion. So obviously it's really important to identify the circle it's, it sounds silly but identifying the circle in circular motion um, so that you know which way your r direction is really r is the most important uh, to figure out then t is the direction that's tangent to the circle z is the direction that's perpendicular to the circle the centripetal acceleration ac we have a special equation for that it's v squared over r uh, the centripetal acceleration for circular motion is never going to be zero, right? Even though the object isn't moving in or out of the circle, I know that the di direction is always changing. So there's always going to be an acceleration and it's always going to be V squared over R in the R direction. 
So that's one of the big equations, acceleration, direction towards the center of the circle. V for circular motion, um, the speed of the object as it travels around the circle is going to be equal to 2 pi r over t, where t is the period. t is the amount of time that it takes to make one full revolution of the circle. Of course, we also have a special equation for gravity, um, which depends on the gravitational constant, capital G. Also depends on the two masses involved divided by the radius squared. So, you know, have, have that equation in your back pocket as well. So for any circular motion problems, again, you're gonna you're gonna do a free like the setup is gonna be the same as a force problem. You're gonna do a free body diagram. Be really clear as to what your R direction is and make sure that the um, you know, you're very clearly identified the force that is your centripetal force. So again, the centripetal force isn't a force in and of itself. It's going to be some other force. It's going to be tension or the normal force or friction. So identifying what force that is. Um, and then you set that, you know, some of the forces in the R direction is equal to mv squared over R. Sometimes you also need to do the sum of the forces in the Z direction to solve for, say, I don't know, normal force or, or what have you. But yeah, so, so super important. Set it equal to mv squared over R. And yeah, solve for your missing quantity. Okay. So that's circular motion in a nutshell, right? Um, be, being able to do, you know, knowing the free body diagrams for both a, a vertical circle and a horizontal circle, super important. Um, so again, circular motion may be the trickiest topic in this course, but I mean, the actual computation you need to do with circular motion is fairly straightforward. It's always uh, in the setup. So that's topic six. Topic seven, a little bit shorter topic, thank goodness, is work. So for work, what are you going to need to know? Um, you should know probably the definition of the dot product, right? How do you calculate the dot product? You have two different definitions, right? One with multiplying the X components plus the Y components plus the Z components together and coming up with a sum. Remember that the, the dot product or the scalar product should always give you a scalar quantity. Okay, so you shouldn't get a vector out of this. It's just going to be a number with units. Don't forget your units. All right. I mean, that's true everywhere in this course. Obviously, don't forget your units. And also don't forget to identify vectors as vectors and scalars as scalars. Right but now you should know if I asked you for the velocity, I'm asking you for a vector. If I asked you for the speed, I asked for, I'm asking you for a scalar. So things like that. Um, obviously very important to keep in mind. So work is a scalar, so it needs units and no direction because it's a scalar. <laughs> um, note that we have the other definition of work that is the magnitude of the force times the magnitude of the displacement um, times cosine of the angle between them. That means that if um, F and D are pointing in, in different directions or say, say in opposite direction, the work done is going to be negative. So negative work is a possibility. If you, yeah, so the work is only done, so by the bit of the force that's acting in the same direction as the displacement, right? That's what the cos theta does, um, is it just chunks that, that force, takes a part of it that's in the same direction as the displacement vector. We also know of the, the work energy theorem. So the net work 
on the system is going to be the change in kinetic energy delta k. Um, so the final takeaway, the initial, you know, um, that's that's a really nice way to to find, you know, a final speed without using, say, kinematics. So one thing I will note, uh, especially going into, I mean, the next topic is energy, is that in some of these problems, there are going to be multiple ways to solve them, right? You might be able to solve a problem either using forces or energy. And unless we specify, which, you know, is fairly unlikely, um, you can use whatever method you want. And sometimes that is a good thing because it gives you options. Sometimes it's a bad thing because sometimes it's easier when there's only one way to do things. Um, so just that being said, okay, so that's work in a nutshell. Obviously that is very closely connected to energy. So that's topic eight. There are different types of energy, right? We, that we work with explicitly. So gravitational potential, um, UG is equal to MGH, that one. Elastic potential, US is equal to one half KX squared, right? We know these equations, you should have them handy. You probably know them by now, you probably, they're not that hard, so you probably do. Um, and finally, the kinetic energy is one half MV squared, right? So you need to know those. You need to know that the change in thermal energy is minus the work done by friction. So obviously, um, we know that the work done by friction is gonna end up being negative. Yeah, typically, I like guess always, because it's always going to be opposing in the opposite direction as the um, as the displacement, right? Know that definition. Obviously, make sure that when you're setting up your conservation of energy that you are paying close attention to the signs, right? Make sure that they that they line up, right? If if delta E thermal um, is negative, work done by friction, but work done by friction is negative as well, then you're going to have a double negative. So delta E thermal is going to be positive because it's, you know, adding heat to the system. So you should also know the difference between conservative and non-conservative forces, right? Conservative forces conserve mechanical energy. So remember the definition of mechanical energy too, which is K plus US plus UG. We also, I mean, obviously energy conservation is a big part of this course. So you have the big equation, maybe um, this is the one you use delta K plus delta UG plus delta US plus delta E thermal is equal to the work done by you know, external forces. So um, you need to be able to use that, right? Initial is equal to final. The, it's obviously important in these problems to choose a system because the system choice is going to define how you talk about gravity. I'm sorry, not gravity, but friction. Try friction. What you need to do is identify identify your system so that, I mean, if it includes the surface, then your work done by friction is going to be internal. So you're going to have a delta E thermal. If you don't include your surface, then friction is going to be external. So you're going to count the work done by friction as work external, external work. So in an energy conservation problem, you're going to need to also define what your initial and final state is, right? Is your initial state when the ball is at the top of the hill or when the ball is at the bottom of the hill um, or when the ball is at the top of the second hill, right? You need to identify um, what two states you're comparing when you're doing uh, energy conservation. Obviously for us as your teachers, as, as they mark your exam, but also for you, so you know exactly <laughs> um, what you're talking about and you don't accidentally throw in extra energies that aren't there.
Okay, so a common mistake I see, you know, an object going from rest to rest, and you know that at some point to get to point from point A to point B, it needs to have gained kinetic energy. Um, so you throw in uh, kinetic energy in your equation somewhere because you know it has some at some point. Um, but since it goes from rest to rest, your delta kinetic energy is actually going to be zero. So even though it had kinetic energy at some point through its path, we don't need to include it in our conservation of energy equation. Also, if you do have friction in an energy problem, you need to identify, you know, you, I mean, you need to set up a, uh, a work problem. Right, calculating the work done by friction, you're going to need a little free body diagram. Um, you should show me the doing the dot product. And of course, like in a lot of the scenarios that we've seen with work done by friction, um, I mean, there's only a few different ones that we've seen. But just showing me that uh, just a little bit of work, showing me the dot product is basically all you need to do. If it's on a flat surface, right, that's easy. That's easy money, right? You know how to calculate the work done by friction on a flat surface. Okay, so take advantage of that. Okay, finally, the last topic, the one squishing at the end of the course is momentum. So we have two definitions of momentum. So P is equal to MV. Of course, momentum is going to be a vector, because right, it's a scalar mass times a vector velocity. And we also have that the force is equal to the change of momentum over the change in T, right? This is the change in T over which the force was applied. We know that another thing is that momentum is um, conserved, sorry, in an isolated system. So the initial momentum is equal to the final momentum. Uh, so this we can use in every sort of collision that we have. In most collisions, though, I mean, technically in every collision, energy is not going to be conserved. I mean, there are uh, situations um, and there's different ways to, to talk about it. I, I call it a, a perfectly elastic collision where energy is, is conserved as well as momentum. And you can set that up, you know, both an energy and a momentum problem for the same collision. And then again, usually you'll end up with a systems of equations, which is a, a really fun, long problem. However, you know, your your teacher's, uh, I don't know, um, definitions of what is elastic, what is perfectly elastic, what is inelastic might be a little bit different. So I'll try to, I'll shy away from using that terminology, um, but just know that momentum is always going to be conserved and energy is, might be conserved, but it's only conserved when I, when we tell you it's conserved. Okay, so um, don't assume that energy is conserved in a collision. Um, note that we have different kinds of what we call collisions too. An inverse collision would be an explosion, right? The object starts from rest and then breaks apart into multiple pieces, right? Momentum is conserved in that case. We also have the situation where you have two objects and they collide and they bounce off of each other, right? Uh, we also have the situation where two objects collide and they stick together. Okay, so that the final mass, you know, they, they end up moving together and their final mass is going to be the sum of the, the masses, right? So, I mean, okay, I guess that's it for the, the topics of the course. Just a, a few little studying tips just to, to end this. I guess the first one would be when you are practicing. So, you know, we, we have a, a review package for you. When you are solving the review package, I recommend that you take chunks of it and write it like you would a, a test. So set, off, set aside so much time for yourself. Do as much as you can. Don't look at the solution. 
and see how you do. And I would recommend even, you know, when you're done the time, I would spend a little bit more time looking over it and thinking about it without looking at the solution before finally going to the solution and figuring out, okay, this is what I, I made this little mistake. This is what I didn't know how to do, right? Don't turn, but when you're doing this, you know, don't open the solution right away. Because I mean, if you were to practice what the test is like, I mean, we obviously don't give you the solution to the test. Um, so, you know, working with the solution book in preparation for the text test is not preparing yourself for what the test is going to be like, right? Let yourself struggle. Uh, let yourself not know for a while. Maybe even um, try asking your teachers before referring to the solution. Um, I mean, I might ask you if you look at the solution, but if you said, no, um, I'm trying to do it without, then I mean, that's great. And I'm happy to help you. That's in a way that's not just telling you to look at the solution. Okay. So do your best to stay away from the solution for the beginning until you finally actually you know, need it and, and finally want to look at it. Um, I highly recommend that you make yourself a formula sheet. And obviously there's one that's provided, you know, this one that goes with the course, but I highly recommend instead, since this is, you know, quote unquote, open book, make one for yourself. This is an excellent way to study because it helps you identify what things are important. And it also, like, I would recommend if you do this to make the study sheet soon. Make it before you start studying. So if you come across something and you're like, oh, I, I actually need this equation that I forgot that I needed, um, then you can add it to your study sheet. Um, and also by the time you get to the exam, you're used to doing questions with your study sheet. Yeah. So do if, if you are to if you do do that, um, do it soon. Finally, my advice is obviously, you know, Y'all are busy, you have lots of other exams. I, I recommend against, you know, crazy cramming sessions right at the last minute. I highly recommend things like um, getting a really good sleep right before. Even I remember like in, in grad school, my supervisor told me the night before, like my big um, presentation of my dissertation, um, he told me to go to the movies. Okay, so I mean, I'm not I'm not telling you to slack off studying, but I do want to say um, just, you know, maybe review a few things the night before and then get a good night's sleep, watch a, a good show, go for a walk. And yeah, um, obviously looking after yourself. It's really hard to do physics when you're exhausted. Okay, eat a good meal before, have some snacks ready. And yeah, I mean, I guess that's all in my advice. I want to wish you the best of luck in your setting and feel free to uh, stop by any of the mechanics teacher's office hours or message your teacher if you need any help with anything. So have a good day and take care.